I want you to try to imagine. Let me ask you this. Who watches crime shows? Anybody here likes to watch crime shows, documentaries, those things somewhat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched the ones where there's, they get to the trial and there's the suspense of what's the verdict going to be? And it's, some of them, you're, you're, you watch it and you're like, I'm sure to have this ongoing joke where it's like, well, obviously this guy's guilty or obviously they're, you know, whatever. But you always have the ones, I mean, they all claim innocence. And there's that suspense you have right as they're going and the verdict is going to be, and the, like the jury gets there, and they stand up, and there's like this moment of suspense. And on one side, which is just Mrs. Doolin today, um, there's this hope of acquittal, right? Like, I want them to be, and they're just like, you, sometimes if they have family members, they're, they're back there, they're holding their hands, they're just like, and, and it's interesting when they have interviews, sometimes they're just, um, they're praying. Just let, you know, let this be this way, or... Um, you know, especially just different circumstances that led up to whatever it was that happened. And then you have the other side, and many times they're praying, let it be guilty because my child or my spouse or my whatever, they don't get to live the rest of their life. This person, no matter what happens, they're still walking around. And I want as much as possible. And so they're like hoping for this guilty verdict. They're hoping for this acquittal. Um, and so let me ask, here's the question. I'm going to ask the question. I'll come back to it again in a minute. Is there any way for, regardless of the jury and what they may say, is there any way for the judge to demonstrate mercy and justice simultaneously? Just think that through. Right? All right, so I was thinking about that, and so I want you guys to chew on that. See if, the, I mean, see if you could come up with some way for, how, how could a judge do that, right? Now, because you guys all have gone to church and you're Christians, you're already formulating <laughs> where this could go. But, but in reality, that's actually a very difficult thing to come up with. Um, on a much smaller scale, I, I was, actually, this one came to me when I was in the bathroom a minute ago. I went back there and I was like, uh, this idea popped in my head. So every day as dean, I'll have, I'll have this list of kids, and I was just telling you this the other day, I have this list of kids that comes through, and I, I'm, without exaggeration, I'll have, like, uh, I think the list for tomorrow between me and the other dean, I think there's like 350 names, um, not into, but 350 referrals. So a teacher, if they've been in trouble or somebody else has written them up, 350-some referrals. And so we, I print these all off with the kids' names, and some of them are repeats, a few are repeats. But I'll have, uh, end result, I may have like 80 to 90 kids I need to see tomorrow. Or, yeah, Monday, right? Tomorrow. And I'll have that list. Now I'll schedule them out this many this hour, this many this hour, this many this hour. And I have to make sometimes these quick decisions if I'm going to try to get through the list as quick as possible. Um, kids come in. Now, I, I didn't think about it until, like I said, just a few minutes ago. But I thought, you know, I, I do face this in a much smaller scale. I'll have a student come in. And I'll give you an example without giving names. Um, I had a student come in who had been in trouble all the time, right? Always on their phone, always talking back to the teachers, always getting, I mean, had been suspended multiple times and everything else. And, but then for the last like two months, I haven't seen this kid at all. 
right? Now, sometimes it happens, I found out, oh, they moved, or oh, they, you know, <laughs> they're just not in town, or they've just been skipping school for two months, and the first day they're back, they're in trouble again. Sometimes that happens, but every once in a while, you get somebody, and you're like, no, I know, I've seen them coming in the building. So either they've gotten way sneakier, or something's different. So had this one, this actually happens quite often, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy that I'm just going to be honest with you. I know this is about myself. I tend to believe them. <laughs> I'm very, I would say, borderline gullible when they're like, Mr. Harmless, I'm really sorry. I'm like, I'm like oh, man. I mean, I just fall for it every time. But every once in a while, I'm like, they could be lying to me. But every once in a while, I see somebody, I'm like, now there's something different here. They, whatever it is, they've turned over a new leaf. They are at least trying to do what they're supposed to do. And they'll come in, they'll sit down. It's the first time they've been in trouble for a long time. And they, you know, and they, they, they especially the ones that have tempers. I've got a lot of, a lot of kids that, well, they just got this temper. And like a teacher will address them instead of just saying, okay, or yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. They don't just not do it. They fly off the hand and start cussing at the teacher, right? That happens at a daily basis. I'm just if you don't know what it's like in Danville High School, there you go. Um, but I'll have these kids, they'll do that. And they'll when they, by the time they get to me, they're like, I shouldn't have done that. I should not have. I know. I knew I shouldn't have done it. I haven't done it in a long time. Like they knew, they, they've been in trouble for that multiple times. But this time they're like, I just, I was having a bad day, and they start telling me what's going on in their life, and, they have, and I'm like, oh, man, and my heart starts to, because, again, that's me. My heart starts to be like, oh, man. And they were trying. They were really trying, and they just had this slip up this one time, and I'm like, oh, my, so my heart tends to go into the direction of, you know what? I'm just going to put down the consequences of a student conference, not give them the suspension, because I'm like, but listen, you know, I mean, you can't do it. This is, you know, and I start talking about, I'm exhibiting some grace here, right? To let, I'm letting you off the hook. Every once in a while, I'll do that, and I'll get a phone call later from guess who? Go ahead, guess. Who do you think calls me later? Maybe, no. no sometimes they don't hear that. No, no. Wish that happened. Yes. Because they see the consequence that's been put in for their referral. They wrote the referral. This kid cussed them out. They see the consequence wasn't a suspension, but a Mr. Armas had a conversation with them. And they're like, what in the world? Right? And honestly, that, that's exactly the same scenario on a much smaller scale. When I exhibited grace, there's another problem that I created. I did not exhibit what they felt like and what they believed ought to be justice, right? They should not have to come in and be treated that way. And they're right. They really shouldn't have, you, they shouldn't have to put up with that. Now, sometimes we'll be, I'll be able to orchestrate it where I'm like, listen, I'll tell the kid, I'm not going to just let you off the hook. Like, I'm, you're going to have to go apologize. And I'll tell the teacher, they're going to, they are going to try to apologize to you. I've had to talk them into it, <laughs> but they, and, and every once in a while we'll do that, but I, Every once in a while, it plays out this way, and I'll get that call from the teacher, and I'll go. And I'll know when I'm telling the kid, like, listen, I'm taking a risk letting you off the hook for this because I know this teacher, what did they experience? They're like, well, I cussed them out. And I'm like, yeah. And they're, they're going to see that you didn't get in trouble for it, really. 
just had to talk to me. Well, that's not trouble at all. I'm Mr. Harmless. Like, <laughs> like what, what is that? That's nothing. So same scenario, right? How could I exhibit mercy and grace, but at the same time, justice? And it's a challenging thing. And, and in many ways, you can't, can you? I mean, not really. Okay. So that's where we're at. So let's review. I think my slideshow is ready to go. Is it ready? It's not going. Somebody want to go back and check it out for me? There goes Wesley. I think it was pulled up. There we go. So this, is the, this was last week's question. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? And the answer to this question is no. And we can go through the details of it, but let's just pause on that no. No. That's not going to happen. Question number 19. Oh, I should have had one word. It's just the question. That's okay. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? That's really the question that we all ultimately have because if all this other stuff that we've been building up to is true, right? If all of this is true, we have a real problem, right? We have a genuine problem. We want mercy from God because if you start to really grasp, and as you guys remember, now you weren't here, but you've heard us joking about it, to really grasp the, the, the heaviness of our guilt the example was what? What did I say we could do to just describe? You know what it was. It was what? Slap what? Slap <laughs> yes. Slap a ba- I mean, that heightened. I mean, that, that's, and that doesn't do any comparison to the actual issue because God is infinitely innocent, unlike King, who's got a little bit of guilt in him. It's probably already starting to come out, isn't it? Just a little bit. Babies are so selfish, aren't they? They just demand everything their way. Oh, and then they then they take over as favorite whoever was the favorite before. No, no that's not true. They're they're all tied for favorite. Is that true, Issa? You're still tied for favorite. She's like, I don't know. I don't know if that was an I don't know or like I can't help it. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I lost my train of thought thinking about slapping a baby. Um, so I mean, the, the, so the guilt, right? The guilt is. I mean, that's. Is real. I mean, God is infinitely innocent. God is infinitely glorious. His, to use a weird word to describe him, his royalty is infinite, right? And for us to sin against him by defying his commands, we deserve an infinite punishment, but yet we want, right? And so the answer to this question is interesting, and we're not going to get the fullness of it with this, but let's think about what it says. It says, yes. Aren't you glad? Let's not even go into the rest of it yet. Let's just, is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's good favor? Aren't you glad the answer to this question is yes? And whatever follows, yes, by itself is already glorious. There's a way. To satisfy his justice... God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Now, I'm going to break that down in a minute, but I want to go 
to where does this come from? And I have a couple passages, passages of Scripture. The first one is Exodus. Now, I'm not going to put all of these up there. I'm going to start with verse 7. I'm going to read some of this, but then the part I want to highlight, I'll talk about, okay? It's uh, one of my favorite Old Testament stories um, in Exodus when it's coming to Moses. I'm going to start with verse 7. I'm going to read down to verse 17, and then I'll, I'll pause. So let's, let's really build this scenario up, okay? There's some description of how Moses used to interact with God. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone out into the tent. So try to picture that already. Can you just, oh, Moses is going out. I wonder how the word spread, right? It wasn't Twitter, right? Moses is going out, you know, hashtag Moses going out, right? But the word spread, and people got up, and they went to the doors of their tents, and they watched him. There he goes out to the tent outside. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. Now, I'm already thinking with this. He, he's already having conversations with God, which is spectacular in and of itself. But there's something more that Moses is getting ready to ask for, I think is hugely, hugely important. He says, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be uh, known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Now, I know that you might be getting lost in the conversation here, but he says this next, verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, The very thing that you have spoken to me I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses says this question. I'll put this one up there. He says, he goes a step further. Please show me your glory. It's a bold thing. I get it. Right? He's gotten to this point, and he, he wants to know God just a little bit more. Please show me your glory. God says this. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Right? And it's all capitals, so what does that mean? Do you guys remember? When the Lord in the Old Testament is all caps, it means it was translated from what word? Yahweh, right? Jehovah God. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And this next part here, I don't understand. I don't get it fully what's going on here. It's spectacular in my mind. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. Okay? And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And then we get a hymn. <laughs> right? And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What did that look like? Unfortunately, it doesn't really describe it. Maybe it's indescribable. Maybe there's no way Moses could say, I saw... Um, <laughs> what do I say? All right, I'm going to read through a couple more verses, and we'll get to this part where this happens. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. We'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, which is where we're going to get these Ten Commandments. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai, and as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. And then we get to verse 5, and it says this. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Okay? Now, this next part is spectacular, what he says. The Lord passed before him. Now, remember, he's kind of put Moses in this cleft of the rock with his hand over him, even though God doesn't have a hand, but his hand is over him. So in some way, he's right, protecting him from his own glory so that he doesn't die right there. He passes by, he lets him just see a glimpse, just the passing by of his glory. But he doesn't just pass by. He also proclaims something. Okay? That's, so he goes by, and as he's passing by, he says something about himself. He's, and that's what Moses really wanted to know. I want to know who you are. And so he says, he says this, he makes this statement. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Doesn't stop there, though. But who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Justice will prevail. But he's merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will not clear the guilty. That leaves us in a predicament, does it not? How in the world is God going to be just, not clear the guilty? I mean, every version that I can think of of me letting, showing mercy is clearing the guilty, and they don't have to take it. Every version of that that I can fathom, there's some that I've got a, new, I've got a problem, I've created a new problem. I have not demonstrated justice. 
And sometimes when I show justice, I feel like I've not had any opportunity to demonstrate mercy. And then I have these weird, like, where I do a little bit of both. But God is saying here, by no means am I going to clear the guilty. But I'm going to be forgiving and merciful and gracious. And so we're at this predicament. Now, I know. You guys are all smart. Christians who've been in church most of your lives, if not all of your lives. And you, you know the answer to the problem. But let's just soak in the dilemma. How is God going to do this? On the one hand, the perpetrators are infinitely guilty of infinite crimes and deserve infinite justice to be meted out to them. And on the other hand, we're begging for mercy from a God who is merciful. I think that that concept right there, if, if you don't understand the dilemma, you don't understand Jesus at all. Because then it just seems like a show what Jesus does. Jesus had to do something real. He had to really take guilt. Not just a show of it, but genuinely. He needed, the, we're guilty. And we can't just be free. We, God can't, God's not like a big grandpa that can go, oh, don't worry about it. Because as soon as he does that, he's no longer a good judge. And justice does not prevail. Now, I was going to ask you this question. So after we've dealt with all this, can, can you try, now see, I know, I know this is going to be tough. I'm gonna, so I'm going to let you just soak in it for a minute. Can you actually try to think of a better way to deal with that problem? Well, we know, I know, you know the, the answer that God has, but try, try to think of it. Can you come up with something to deal with that? Where justice prevails, and you can be merciful at the same time. Go ahead, try. I'm going to go to lunch. I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> think about it for a minute. I was doing this this morning with Charity. We were talking about this, and I'm like, can you... I, I was like, okay, I'm going to really try to think. Is there some other way? Could I formulate a way that you could do that? And honestly, every version. Give me some, give me some faulty versions that pop up in your head. Anybody have any fault? Like, what ways could you satisfy justice and try to give grace, but it doesn't quite do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting path to go down when you think about the parent side of it because if, if uh, the crime is between two of the kids and you just let them off, not these two? Oh, there's never crimes between these two? Oh, those two? Those two? They, oh, these two? Oh, everybody's throwing everybody else under the bus over here. Interesting. No, them. Her, them. They're, they're guilty. <laughs> oh, they're not the point to you. It's dad's fault. Um, you, if you do show grace to one child when they've done something to the other child, the other child ends up being the injured party in that case. I mean, ultimately, demonstrating grace isn't really requiring grace on your part. You end up forcing your child to demonstrate grace. Right? I think that 
when we start to contemplate this in this situation, we have to understand that the quote-unquote injured party, the one that's been sinned against, is also the judge. Right? And so I think for some people, and I'm, gonna, I'm just being honest with you, I, I almost get this, the sentiment. I think for some people, they go, who did it? Justice. <laughs> um, for some people, because since God is the one that's sinned against, they feel like he has the opportunity to just simply go, I'm just going to let it go. But if he does that, he still is forfeiting justice. Justice still, and we have a problem with how God has revealed himself to be. He says, this is who I am. Moses, this is who I am. I'm merciful, but I'm not going to clear the guilty. I think that that's an ongoing thing throughout the Old Testament. They get glimpses of how do we pay for this, and we get this whole sacrifice system that somebody's got to and why they, and I'm going to part my sin on an animal? And you'd have to know, like, this isn't really doing anything, right? We got this, this isn't really. And we know that from the New Testament. That's just a, a shadow of what was to come. Now, Paul warned me, because he's doing next week. He said, don't say the answer. <laughs> no, he didn't say it quite like that. He didn't say it quite like that. But, so I thought, well, we can get, and, and one of the verses it had... Let's, let's get into the middle ground because we get a hint in Isaiah well before the name Jesus enters this planet, right? Isaiah 53. And when you listen to this, you can't help but go, like every single word that I read, you can't help but go, Jesus, that's Jesus, 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 obviously Jesus. But they didn't know that. Isaiah didn't know that when he's reading it. But... It, there's going to be, you get this hint that God has something planned to solve this dilemma in a way that is magnificent. And I think way better than just going, oh, guys, it's okay. Way more glorious. So let's, let's, let's read this here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So already you, you, you read this and... You, when I read, I, I can't read this without thinking of Jesus going to the cross. I, I can't do it. I can't disconnect them. But those first people that read this, they would not have had that full picture. And so for them, it would have been looking going, well, this is something. And we know from, from historical texts, the, the rabbis were like very confused. Who is this suffering servant, they called him? Who's, who is this? Is it a completely different person? I mean, we got this Messiah figure that we're looking for, this anointed one coming, but who is this? I mean, the fact that it ended up being one and the same person, magnificent, isn't it? Like the conquering king is also going to be our suffering servant redeemer. What a concept. I just, I can't think of anything better. I think... It's amazing. Every story we read where we just go, wow, that's an awesome story. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about Harry Potter, but when you read Harry Potter, you read Lord of the Rings, or you read, I mean, there's just these little glimpses of the sacrifice that comes in, but it always comes up short to what actually happened in our world. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, 
Yet we, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, smitten by God and afflicted. So God is striking, smiting this person. That makes sense if I think about what's the dilemma. Justice must be carried out by the judge. So, but he was, he was pierced, not for his transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, right, with God. And with his wounds, we are healed. So we, that we get this person, whoever this is, is going to take it. Now, let's, let's go back to the courtroom situation, okay? Sorry, Norma, you're the perpetrator. Um, the perpetrator, say the perpetrator has slain somebody on this side, and you're way outnumbered. If we don't do something, they're going to take care of you regardless because I can't hold them all back. But if let's say we find her guilty and then the judge gets ready to pronounce a consequence, and let's say some random person over here goes, you know, I know her, I want to take it for her, right? Now, I'm going to be honest, there's still a problem. I don't think a single one of you are going to be satisfied with that. You're going to go, I don't care what he, he didn't do it, Right? This third party didn't do it. And this is why this gets even more glorious because when you find out that the third party is the one sinned against from eternity past, that Jesus, the one who's going to take it, was the one who had been sinned against. He's not just some random third party. He is the judge. He is the the one who is, he's the victim, so to speak, in the, in the court case, the one that's been sinned against. That's the only way this really makes sense. And it just doesn't make any sense at all till Jesus, when Jesus shows up. And this is why when we're going through Luke, the disciples are so confused. It's not till afterwards. I imagine that this is one of those passages is that Jesus, when he's walking on that road to Emmaus, he's got those two disciples, and it says he explained to them all the things from the, 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 the scriptures, how it pointed to him. I imagine this is one that they were just like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. That's you. And you did, you're God. But then you did this for us. And that just drove them the rest of their lives to go and tell everybody they could about this amazing story. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting into Jesus again. I'm sorry. I know, it's, I can't, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, and see, even in those statements, like, and the Lord has laid on him, and it feels very much, and I can imagine those Jews reading this, were like, the Lord's laying, so the, who's this third party, and just not, I mean, and then you get into deep, important doctrines, like the doctrine of the Trinity, understanding that God is three in one, how, how can the Lord lay on him, unless there's more than one person in who God is? I mean, all these doctrines start to be so important to understanding the big picture of what's happening. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep 
that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. I mean, all these things are happening seeming by these people, right? Um, As for his uh, generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Dilemma. I feel like saying dilemma resolved doesn't do justice to even what we're trying to picture in my mind. Like all the goodness, all the mercy, all those things that God said of himself, forgiving, merciful, but not clearing the guilty, all those things gets wrapped up not in an idea, but in a person. Jesus, our suffering servant, our conquering king, all in one. And I got ahead of myself again. I'm talking about the back. We don't know. How is he going to do this? And we get glimpses of it in Isaiah. There's something, there's some way God has got somebody that's going to do this for us. And that's the anticipation that builds throughout the Old Testament. When his soul makes an offering for his guilt, he shall see his offspring. I mean, there, there's so many things in here that if you would be, I, I, can, I get it, the Jews would be so, those disciples so confused that he, right, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The, Lord, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Like he's being crushed, but his offspring. And like how in the world resurrection becomes an essential key ingredient for all of this to unfold. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Amazing. Now, what does this mean? What does this all mean? Um, I think that I had this here. Is there any way? Oh, I tried to do a Paul thing and put some blanks in there for you. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? If you were living in Old Testament times, you would be going, yes, but I don't quite understand how. And we're doing these sacrifices, but I don't really get how a goat could take care of me. I don't get how a sheep could take my penalty. I mean, it's a sheep. That wouldn't work for you, would it? I mean, if the perpetrator had killed a family member and we said, you know, we're going to take care of that crime by killing this goat, you'd be like, not good enough. <laughs> right? Even if you didn't like goats. <laughs> right? I don't care. That doesn't do it. And it didn't do it then. You know how many times? Endless return, never-ending return to the sacrifices. But then Jesus comes along, and what's it say in Hebrews? He did it once for all, all time, all people. But it accomplished something real. It didn't just open an opportunity. Real guilt had to be paid for on that cross. Right? Right? Chew on that one for a little while. It's a, I don't, I can't, I'm going to be honest, I can't wrap my mind around all of this, but I find that the more I delve into it, the more glorious it becomes. Like you don't dig into Christ and start going, yeah, 
I do that with other stories, like I, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Like, I mean, Lord of the Rings, it's hard to like, get into that one and be like, meh. But I mean, you get, there's, there's little shortcomings here and there. I mean, I love, love my Tolkien, but it doesn't quite, there's little, but what about, how does, what about, but this one, the deeper you go into it, the more glorious it becomes. There's, there's no loose ends. Anyway. What does it mean? To satisfy his justice. Let's, maybe we should say these things together. <clears throat> Let me read the question, then we'll read the answer together. Is there, any way to escape God, uh, is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes. Satisfy his justice. God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. The last three words, I think, are probably the most important. He really does this, and it has to be accomplished by this Redeemer. Okay? I'm doing it, Paul. All right. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes. To satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Let's do a couple more. Wait, what was that? Mercy and reconcile. Okay, we can do this. We can do two. Can we do two? Because their time's almost up. I haven't gotten the from the hall, but I know we're getting close. Okay, I'm sorry. I got to. Okay, mercy, reconcile. All right, here we go. Yes. To satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Delivers? Okay, wait. Mercy reconciles, delivers sin. Okay, can we do it? All right. Um, yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Two more. Can I do them all? No. <laughs> okay, wait, I got to go back and look one more time. <laughs> Mercy reconciles to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Okay, let me read the question and we'll do the answer. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself out of mere mercy reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. All right. Well, I'm going to close in prayer this Sunday school. And honestly, all I'm going to do in this final closing prayer is just say, and I want you just in your minds, hearts, say it with me. Just, I, I'm just going to say, Lord, thank you that you made a way for mercy and justice. And I thank you, God, that it's glorious. Right? Lord, I just thank you. I know we all do in this room. We thank you that you made a way for your justice and your mercy to just come together 
in the one person, this Redeemer. Lord, I, I'm so grateful that you've opened our eyes to see that reality. And Lord, that we get to bask in its glory. Not by our own merits, Lord, but just mere mercy on your behalf. I thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, I, did I have a why does it matter? Oh, I did. I did. I actually thought through a why does it matter. I'm sorry. <clears throat> did you guys guess what it said? I had down, why does it matter? To, and this was for me. I was just sitting there. Actually, I put this in there this morning because I was like, why does, it, why does this matter? Like, if I had to answer, why does this matter? I thought, because, for me, it's a realistic and believable hope. It's realistic and it's belief. Like when I, when I get into this, I'm like, this actually makes sense how God did this. A realistic and believable hope founded in actual mercy, grace, and true justice. That was my, that was my big closer that I forgot to give. <laughs>